0: The wildlife hospitals were using Meloxicam and giving it by mouth to the koalas. And we did exactly the same thing, gave the oral dose, and we couldn't find any of it in the koala's circulation. My name is Maren Gavenda, and I'm certainly more than just a vet.
1: Hello, you are listening to More Than Just a Vet, a podcast where we explore the lives of veterinary professionals. I want to know. What's behind the surgical mass of the people who help our animals? My name is Francisco Gomez. Welcome to my show. Um, hello, how are you? You okay? Yeah. I, I have read about you and I'm extremely excited about your work. I, I think you, you're brilliant, to be honest. Well, thank you. Okay, so um, and the, the first thing I, I wanted to ask you is to, to introduce yourself.
0: Okay, so my name is Merin Govender, and I live um, in a suburb of Sydney called Randwick, which is very close to Coogee Beach. Um, And it's a beautiful place to live, although in Sydney at the moment it's very, very wet. Uh, I am married, I have two children and I'm Associate Professor in Veterinary Pharmacology at the Sydney School of Veterinary Science at the University of Sydney. And really, I love my work. Um, work is a huge part of my life. My my children are grown-up men now. Um, they're out making their own life. My husband's retired. Um, so now I'm really, really enjoying um, the work that I do. With you know, I have I have less less demands on my life and you know, just coming down the home stretch, and trying to get as much done as I possibly can.
1: Fantastic, fantastic. So, l- tell me a little bit because m- most of my listeners are from the UK, right? Yeah. And your parents were British, that like, Correct. Right? Yes. Why did they um? Why did they move uh, to Australia?
0: Um, yes. Yeah, so I think they were in the end of that um that big immigration English. Immigration. They weren't the ten pound palms, but I think I think their family decided to try Australia for a better life, Uh and uh, so my father's parents came out um, to uh, Sydney, and then my father's father got very sick, so my father came out with my mother, and. they had a pretty tough time. It was when you look back on it now. So this is in the nineteen fifties, and it was pretty um, tough. All right, they were having the immigrant experience. They could speak the language, and of course, you know, they, um, you know, the English people were very well received in Australia uh-huh. at the time. But it's still, it's really still hard to uproot yourself and go there. But with time, my mother really liked the weather here. My mother loved to play tennis. And so uh-huh. my mother finally became very, very happy living here. And uh, so, you know, they've, they've lived here ever since. My um, mother did pass away, but my father's still alive. And mm-hmm. um, he often talks about going home to England. Um, he was a Londoner and my mother came from Southend-on-Sea. Um, but, but Dad won't go back there. But, uh, yes, yeah, so, so, yes, very, very well-connected. To the UK in that regard?
1: Immigration is obviously part of me as well because I'm Mm. Spanish you probably can see by the accent and even thought you know 60-70 years ago it would have been a lot tougher to do it, um, a lot harder. Uh, It's still always you know you always think home, yes where is home? (laughs) Now you, you are a vet Yes. you're not a pharmacologist well, you are a pharmacologist but you are a vet uh, and then yes. how did you transition from being a vet to be a, a pharmacologist because i think that's sure. quite interesting
0: okay so um i loved being a vet i was a small animal vet for um about 5 6 years and i oh, wow, really okay. i really loved it um i <laughs> worked in private practice in sydney and then I had children and in those days we had to do our own, we had to do after hours and um, I had young children and my husband used to get very anxious of me going out doing after hours calls. Like, So now you have, emer- you have emergency hospitals but in those days, so this is in the 19, mid-1980s, um, you know, if someone called you out at 1 o'clock in the morning, you'd have to go out. My husband started to get very anxious about it. And my, my, my husband used to come with me when it was like 1 or 2 a.m. in the morning. But when I had young children, it did get very, very hard. And so I actually decided to go back to university and do some more study. It was just probably, I know it doesn't sound easy with young children, and it wasn't. It wasn't easy with the young children, but it sort of my husband felt a lot better that I was sort of um, having more regular hours. So I decided to go back and I did a PhD. And that wasn't easy and it took me. So the average PhD in Australia takes about four and a half years. Well, I sort of stretched it out to seven years. So it took me seven okay. years to complete it. I did a part-time. And also while I was doing it, I worked as a, um, as a small animal anaesthetist in the University Veterinary Hospital. Uh-huh. And one day uh, at that stage, veterinary pharmacology was actually taught by the medical pharmacologists, and which is really interesting because they, they know so much. But veterinary pharmacology is quite different to human pharmacology. Anyway, they didn't have anybody to teach anaesthetics, so they asked me to teach the vet students um, about um, anaesthesia or, or sedatives and general anaesthetic yes. drugs. Um, and then finally they, they asked me to teach the whole course. And so I did a pivot. I, I actually thought after I finished my PhD I'd actually become a small animal Um, medicine specialist that's where I really thought I was going Uh, but you know life takes you in unexpected ways so um, an opening came up um, to teach the veterinary pharmacology course and then once I was teaching it um, the veterinary faculty decided to take it back Um, so it's no longer taught by medicine and I've been teaching it ever since and so I've had to pivot, learn a lot about pharmacology, and my research is about pharmacology. And it's really fabulous. It's really interesting. It's applied physiology. It moves really, really quickly. There's a lot of lot of parts to it. Um, it's very technical. Um, and I think it's just wonderful, and I think it really um I really enjoy doing it. And I sometimes look back and think, wow, aren't I lucky that somehow pharmacology found me?
1: Oh, I see. (laughs) That's why I say to to people with cats, you know, when they find cats, they say, no, I adopted the cat. No, probably the cat adopted you. Yeah. Um, Because they tend to to find their their ways to to, to people's new homes.
0: (laughs) I, I don't think I would ever have thought of pharmacology as a career per se without sort of being made to teach it. Yeah.
1: So your pupils are just vets, vet students. All your pupils are vet students.
0: Yes, they are
1: the Ah. the veterinary students. Yeah. I see. I see. So when I was a student, I don't think my teacher made it very interesting. To be honest, I didn't really enjoy it very much. It is a shame, isn't it? So Hmm. can you tell me? Just give me an idea of what did you teach this week? Are you teaching this week? Give me a topic.
0: Yes, yeah, so I can I can I can tell you. So the first thing I start off with when I teach pharmacology is to the year once. And it's the first time they've ever had pharmacology. And so I we had this this sort of module of teaching called metabolism and excretion. And of course, metabolism and excretion are the two pharmacokinetic um physiological processes and so we start with that and then in order to try and get them really into it I ask them if they know why paracetamol is toxic to the cat because it's all it's all tied up and they sort of know it they sort of know you don't give cats paracetamol but very few know why and so I break it down into phase one and phase two metabolism And in the cat, they have a problem with their glucuronotransferase. Well, they don't have much of it. They don't have much activity. And because they have poor phase two metabolism, they build up this toxic metabolite. And that toxic metabolite is very, very dangerous to the cat. And the dog, and then I compare it with the dog. And the dog is not so sensitive, but the dog is more sensitive than humans. And so we talk about all those... Sort of concepts. And then we talk about excretion and we talk about the drugs such as cefovesin. So, um, convenia, the antibiotic, antibiotic, you know, the one that you inject and it, it, it is active over about 10 days. And we, we talk about, we talk why that might be. And of course, I talk to them about, well, it's thought to have really, um, high plasma protein binding and then it's got a very high affinity for the plasma proteins but that's not all in the in the dog and cat it's reabsorbed as well so we talk about that we also talk about the actions of fruzamide, how how it how it works and um, a few it's a few years ago um, i don't know if you remember that you probably don't you might not know fran but Shane Warne the famous australian cricketer um, once was caught taking Um because oh. his mother said he would look better if he took furosemide, and so we. His mother about-
1: said he looked better.
0: Yeah, so okay. Shane Warne um, went through a phase where he—he's a beloved cricketer in Australia because he was such a great bowler, but he—he he does do some very strange things, and one of the things was he wanted—I think he wanted to lose some weight. So, his mother said, take some fruzamide because, of course, he'll lose some water, and that will slim him <laughs> yes. down. So, we discuss why that wasn't really a good idea for a cricketer oh, wow. to actually a cricketer who's in the hot sun to take a to diuretic. Take a yeah, we just <laughs> and so we talk about that. So, that's the kind of thing um, we we talk about in first year, and in second year, I talk more about the use of you know the prudent use of antim- antimicrobials, antibiotics. We talk about how to use glucocorticoid steroids safely, their side effects, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. And like in surgery, we go quite um, deeply into the different analgesics, what analgesics you use for acute pain, and then what are our alternatives in animals who have got chronic pain. And that we might want to um, treat them pharmacologically. So that's the kind of stuff that I, I teach my students.
1: That, you know, that's wonderful. That is that is fantastic. And I, like I said, I wish my first my first lesson was to do with that. Honestly, oh, and oh. and even even though you just said all this, and you haven't touched koalas yet. No. But I I will get into there. Okay. Uh, but before, before I wanted to ask you a follow-up question, well, not a follow-up question, something like a bit of an experience, because I um, I work in private uh, practice, and mm-hmm. uh, and now you, you mentioned the paracetamol that you can't give to cats, but we mm. do have it because we use it in dogs. Yes. It's, it's something that is a trick question I use when I am um, in theatre with um, nurse and vet students, and then I actually ask them that question. I... Um, I asked I ask them, well, we got a patient with a bit of pain now. And Please. then and then what should we give them? And and then if it's a cat, then very careful, he careful, said, can you think about any other analgesic? Yeah. And and if they don't mention it, it says, What about paracetamol? Yeah. And says, Oh yeah, paracetamol. No, it's a cat. You can't give and I made that distinctions until then don't use trastamolina cancer no, no <laughs> yes i always i always uh, i always mention that so i'm glad actually you you touch the, 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 the you touch on that because i oh. it's something that I, I i i use often i i, uh, oh, I mention often to, to younger to younger uh, members uh, okay so I, I want to shift gears a little bit
0: mm. I'm happy I'm happy to look at all different things because everything yes. opens up your eyes to new to new possibilities.
1: Is that what you love about being a vet? The the new?
0: Um what I love about being a vet is the interaction with the animals and the owners. That's that's what I really love. Being a researcher, I love the creativity about research and that to have a really open mind when I was a young researcher I used to be swayed by people I used to have ideas and people said oh don't do that or that's you know don't do that or that doesn't make sense or something like that and that's fine to get the feedback but I thought about it a little bit more and some of the best things that I've found is just by keeping going forward. And some things, I've gone down a lot of dead ends as well. Um, but uh, I also, I must admit, I have a colleague. I have, yes. my, one of my previous PhD students works with me now. And we're very similar in our approach that we like to go, as we term it, we like to go down rabbit holes. Yes, and we sometimes we have to stop ourselves from going down the rabbit hole Um, but often we find things that are really really interesting so what I like working with my colleague and his name is Benjamin Kimball is that we do consider just about everything and sometimes it's just not possible to do Um, but if we can find a way we try and do it and sometimes we work it works and sometimes it doesn't work but that's that's what it's all about and it's to also encourage people our students you know to work out what is feasible and what's not feasible and you've got you've got to be able to explore
1: yes think about outside the box sometimes i guess mm-hmm. to try to find different approaches to to different things um yeah. i i'm afraid i'm gonna to have to talk to you about koalas because i find no, it really great. interesting i love
0: right? i love talking um, about koalas
1: Yes. And, and, and there is there is something I, I find it interesting for two reasons first because i don't think i ever been close to one uh, and, and 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 second uh, because of, of the, i know it's horrible to say but of the of the conditions they get i i, I read that very common in college you get uh, chlamydia yeah, okay. uh, which uh, people call it wet bottom right <laughs> Uh, and then when, when I look into chlamydia, because I do a little bit of ophthalmology, mm-hmm. then I I thought, well, does it affect the eyes as well? And mm-hmm. and yes, it does. It affects yes. the eyes quite badly mm-hmm. as well. Yes. I've I seen uh, horrible pictures of koalas with chlamydia yes. um, having problems with, yeah. with their eyes. Yes. Um, so one of the things that you found was uh, uh, the half-life of um Non-steroidal anti-inflammatories in koalas, which is very interesting. And for people who who are not vets, so I don't want to bore them either. Mm-hmm. Um, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories are this um, anti-inflammatories, um, this group that we use in humans and we use in dogs and cats uh, very frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, could you could could you tell me a little bit about how do you find um, the 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 use of anti-inflammatories in in koalas Uh, and also uh, you say you mentioned in in a blog about how not to have to use live animals yes to find the solution i I thought that was really interesting you want to tell us a little bit more about that
0: sure so um the koala story is quite a long story i'll make it fairly brief um so we started off doing a study on chlamydia so chlamydia is a very serious disease in 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 koalas in a lot of populations of koalas and i must say a lot of people are putting a lot of work into it in australia and they're developing a vaccine for it which is wonderful oh wow i my perspective is the treatment so animals will still get it and how best to treat it and it's very debilitating in the koala okay so we started off looking at an antibiotic called batrol or enrofloxacin mm-hmm. which you would be aware of yes and when you give it to koalas at the dog and cat dose and um, when you give it by mouth for koalas need a much higher dose in order for it to get into their blood. And um, and about the same time, um, at that stage, the distributor of meloxicam also was asked us to look at meloxicam in the koala. So we did a study. So meloxicam, for your listeners, is a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug. And uh, we gave it orally to the koalas and we couldn't find it in their blood. So we then gave the meloxicam intravenously at a, a fairly high dose to the koala, and we measured the blood concentrations over time, and we found the meloxicam was disappearing very quickly out of the blood. So I think in dogs it lasts for a If you give a dose of meloxicam, it lasts for about a day in the circulation. If you give it to people, it lasts for about 12 hours. If you give it to a koala, it's disappeared by about two hours out of their blood. And we found that very interesting because it was very similar to what we saw with enrofloxacin. So we went and looked at the literature and no one had looked at therapeutic drugs before in koalas they were looking at other substances to work out what was going on. So they were looking at sort of these substances, these more scientific substances. And the evidence was actually there that the koala was actually breaking down some substances in its body much quicker than other other animals. But no one had ever looked in the therapeutic drugs. And this will answer your, your second question. You said, um, so... You, we do some studies that we don't need the live animal for yes we do what we can do is that we get the enzymes from from dead koalas so their liver enzymes the metabolism enzymes from dead koalas now we don't kill any koalas unfortunately these are the koalas that are hit by cars or yeah. they're attacked by dogs and unfortunately have to be put to sleep. We, we don't go and kill any koala. The koala hospitals will collect the livers for us, put them in very, very cold temperatures, like um, really cold minus 80 degrees, snap-freeze the li- livers, and then we go and extract the enzymes. And those are the enzymes that metabolise the drug. So we use yeah. those enzymes so we don't have to put the drug in a live animal. So when we did the meloxicam study, the first study we did was in the live koala. We couldn't believe our results. We just couldn't believe that the meloxicam was going as quickly as we saw out of the koala. We looked at each other, and this is with my PhD student, Benjamin, and we said, no one's going to believe us. You know, and <laughs> we started to show people our results. And they, they didn't really want to believe us, but some, some people were saying, yeah, we never thought meloxicam worked anyway.
1: So, <laughs> we tried, but didn't.
0: <laughs> exactly. So we did it with a, we redid the study with the hepatic enzymes, with the liver enzymes. So we got the drug, we incubated it with, a, um, with the hepatic enzymes. We compared the rate to enzymes that we got from the dogs, from rats, um, brush-tailed possums, and other possums, and we found the marsupials, the brush-tailed possums, the koalas, and the ringtail possums, were metabolising this drug so much faster than the rat, yes. and then the dog. So then, what we have hypothesised is that it's all because of the koala's diet. So, the koala only eats eucalyptus leaves, and it's very, very, and eucalyptus leaves are the most toxic diet of any animal in the world. But the koala is adapted to this very toxic diet, and it's adapted, it has very efficient pathways to break down the eucalyptus leaves. And it's this same pathway, it's this oxidative pathway that breaks down the meloxicam really quickly oh we've also shown it the same thing happens with carprofen so we've also done a study that we're just writing up now carprofen rimadil the other veterinary non-steroidal that koalas also eliminate that really really quickly so that answers both both your questions, really. We've only it done it in meloxicam. We've only done meloxicam and carprofen. Um, there is some interest that some of the vets want us to look at virocoxid to see that, and so we probably will look at that in 2022 to see what koalas do with it. Because just because the koalas have rapid metabolism of on one NZ doesn't mean all, in, all NZs um but certainly meloxicam was a very popular nz um, yeah. that probably is not being used anymore in in, in, in koalas course. because it's so rapidly metabolized you have to give it you have to give it 3 to 4 times a day and koalas are non non uh, wild animals and they don't like being handled by humans they yeah. don't want to be jabbed and so the less you can interfere with them the better
1: the better, yeah. Well, that's, that's really interesting. And well, I, I think I got to ask you currently because these are painkillers we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the alternative? What do people use? Uh, good pets?
0: question. All right, that's a really good question. Uh, so yes, I uh, doing this work, um, leaves a gap. Uh, yeah, so spend a lot of time looking at tremidol. Uh-huh. Um, So tramadol is an opioid-type drug, and we've actually worked out that you can give tramadol at a higher dose to koalas, but you have to give it by injection. Um, So if you give it at four milligrams per kilogram twice a day, that's quite a good analgesic, and it all comes down with tramadol to its first metabolite and so tramadol I don't know if you use it a lot in the UK it's quite a good analgesic in the cat it's not a good analgesic in the dog because they don't convert it to its first metabolite and the first metabolite is the analgesic but koalas do koalas convert tramadol to the first metabolite and during the big bushfires that we had here they were using tramadol as a twice daily analgesic for the bird for the survivors, so those koalas that were recuperating from the awful bushfires that we had here in 2019, 2020. We've also found out the fentanyl patches, you know, the small um, cat-sized fentanyl patches will start to provide some analgesia after about 12 hours, so about the same um, for dogs. If you put them on, um, so you know the fentanyl patch takes time to work In the dog and the cat takes, uh, I think, about six hours in the cat and about 12 hours in the dog. Put the patch on the koala, it'll take about 12 hours, and it will last for over 72 hours, analgesia. And the other thing that we found just, so this is hot off the press, (laughs) is that we've actually a very, very, a drug that's been used in koalas for decades is paracetamol but no one has ever looked at whether it has been working. So we've just started a study to look at paracetamol, and I'm very delighted. We've only done a very small pilot study, but in our pilot study, paracetamol seems to be very well absorbed in the koala when given orally, and it's actually the only second drug that we've found that is well absorbed when you give it. By mouth to the koala, we've still got to we still got a way to finish it, but we're very excited that paracetamol might be really good for koalas. As, as because see the problem with koalas is nobody ever did any research on it. We never knew. We just it's you know if there's such a beloved animal in Australia. You think the rest of the world loves it? Well, we love them too. Yes. But we just assumed they were small cats and dogs. Yes. And so we thought, if this drug works in the cat and the dog, it's going to we'll work just in the koala.
1: Yes. But
0: it doesn't, and nobody started this work till till we did. Um, and we've just opened a Pandora's box on on things like that. So I have to now shut the Pandora's box and give people things that they can use.
1: <laughs> yes, um, of
0: and the difference between and it's really important that the difference between koalas are not. Dog, a dog and cat even though they're about the same size because their diet's totally different so their adaptations are different to the cat and the dog which are carnivores so that's that we've all turned around our thinking now about the need to do pharmacological research for australian native animals
1: that's fantastic so interesting um i don't want to keep to cut this um this episode, sure, because I find I, I got more questions. I'm going to be here forever. I'm sorry, it's, it's quite late down there, isn't it? It's, it's <laughs> almost the middle of the night. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to just shift again to, um, to do with animals, and then we'll do something a bit more fun, if okay. you like. Yeah. Um, there is just one thing I wanted to ask you about. Well, <clears throat> it's actually about coronavirus, because we got this pandemic now and mm. and uh, very quickly people say oh coronavirus and then we would think oh cats do get coronavirus mm. they mm. got FIP mm. um FIP for for people who don't know this is feline uh, infectious peritonitis mm. that uh, is difficult to diagnose and dare I say mo- impossible to treat or almost impossible to treat there is something new now
0: it's now thought of a, a treatable disease yes
1: Yes, um, and um, is it still a secret, this, this treatment? It's still, no, we don't no, know. I don't think
0: it is. No, I don't think it's um, it's widely used between people who work with cats are very aware of it, and yes. um, it's a, it's a game-changer. There's still so much work to do with it. If if you have a cat that's diagnosed with FIP and you get it early enough, uh, we are doing a clinical trial so we are one of the um major centers in australia that's doing clinical trials so the drug is called remdesivir but it's not the remdesivir it's again it's metabolite it's a drug called gs441524 and that is actually the cats are now surviving and before that the cats weren't
1: surviving that's fantastic have we Learn Well, of course we have learned, but have we learned for the lay person something from COVID that we can apply to cats or anything from FIP that we can apply to people? You see, have we learned anything from each other or is there is nothing
0: Wait, well, useful yet? The, the drug via was actually a drug developed to treat it was it was developed to treat Ebola virus in humans,
1: uh-huh.
0: and with COVID, um, it was thought that remdesivir um, might be useful for, to treat uh, COVID in people, but that doesn't seem to be the case. But uh-huh. because it became more freely available. Um, we have people have started to use it in the cat. So this drug developed for people coming to the cat and making a big difference to, to the survival of many cats. Yes. Um. I think it's still early days. So veterinary science often la- lags behind human medicine. Yeah. But um, I don't think the human world... Has yet learnt much from us about coronavirus. I still think there are a lot ahead of us, but you don't know. It's too early. It's too early to say. And 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 the fact that we had studied coronavirus, so we knew it in the cat. You know, it had it. It's a and other species. It's a well known entity. So perhaps a lot of our veterinary studies have informed. The human human studies yes but th- that's about all I can say. I think it's too early at this stage to, to say but the cats are certainly beneficiaries
1: Hi we are halfway the episode and I want to take this opportunity to let you know about all the ways you can use to interact with the show. First of all you can find more than just a vet in more of the major social media outlets including Facebook Meta, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. But More Than Just A Bet has its own website, where you can send comments, reviews, or even ask about advertising opportunities. Visit morethanjustavet.net forward slash contact to find out more, forward slash sponsors to see who helps me keep the show going, or if you just want to support the show, go directly to morethanjustavet.net forward slash donate. The website has also his own episode players and show notes about the interviewees, including bits that they're not always in the recording. So there is a lot more and a lot to see in the website more than just a red.net. Okay, let's go back. How would you put a giraffe in a fridge?
0: Idea. Oh um, how would I put a giraffe in the fridge? Do I have constraints of how big the fridge can be? Can I can I get a can I order a big can I go and order a big fridge from Amazon to put the giraffe in?
1: Yes, if you like. Uh,
0: how else would I put a giraffe in the fridge? Um, no, I'm not very good at these creative uh, <laughs> creative questions. I certainly don't want to. Chuppa. Have you ever seen a giraffe being anaesthetised?
1: Uh, no, never. Have you?
0: Yes, I have. It's amazing because wow. it's when you think about it. Because um, you were talking before that you were, you know, in a um, a surgery theatre, um, you know, because if you imagine the blood pressure trans, um, the blood pressure issues, and even the blood yes. pressure issues with a elephant or those animals that if they need to be Um how, how, do you get a, how do you get a giraffe safely um, on the ground? They're not like a horse. You can't strap them onto one of those things. <laughs> yes. <you flip. laughs> I don't know. It's, if, you, if you Google it on YouTube, I mean, that would be a really interesting speaker for you in future, um, yes. you know, to get people who do those kind of anesthetize those very large yes. animals because it's a real... Um, yes. it's really amazing. So I have I have deflected. I don't know how to put a, a giraffe in the fridge. I have just deflected. That, that, that's it. fine. It, but do they, actually, do they care about the giraffe's welfare? Like, well, exactly. You, know, you, you, exactly. Know, you, just, you just can't put a giraffe in the fridge and close the door. You know, the giraffe has to be comfortable. So it's as sort of simple as that, you know.
1: Yes, a nurse in my practice said, said to me, Uh, well I'll chop it first and then because he's not thinking about the the dimensions I'll chop it first and then put it in the fridge and I said to her wow why are you going to chop a giraffe don't worry I'll kill it first
0: I've got other more ethics for that I mean exactly (laughs) no I know I know with these things they have some very but to make you think I mean um, you know I've heard these kind of questions before that's a good
1: one. That's a good one. Yes. Um, what um what's a good um, dinner? What's a good um, a good uh, dish? Australian dish that you can you can tell me something that you enjoy eating that is actually proper from Australia.
0: I have a very sweet tooth. Okay. So for me, you can't go past the pavlova. They're beautiful, even though it's. Uh, there's a fight between the Australians and the, and the Kiwis, the New Zealanders. That um, the New Zealanders will say it was developed in New Zealand, but a pavlova is beautiful. I love that. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I, I just I love I love sweets. I love um, custard tarts, um, vanilla slices, all these sort of. I don't know. Probably they've got their roots in Europe, but uh, yes. vanilla slices. Are beautiful, Danish tarts. Okay. Um, I I, I love cakes. I, I'm a cake girl. I had carrot cake for lunch. So.
1: Okay, that that's that's perfect. That's what um, people um people at at the practice I work at. Uh, yeah. I asked them, what would you like me to ask them? Something fun. And one of the th- the, the thing that the uh, Ian came with, is I want to know what people are having for dinner. And I thought, okay, I'll ask them that. You told me about your dream, and then you said uh, something about the Great Barrier Reef. Mm-hmm. Uh, what What is the Great Barrier Reef, and okay. why is important to you?
0: Oh, you don't know about the Great Barrier Reef?
1: I don't think so. No, I know oh. now. <laughs> okay,
0: so the Great Barrier Reef runs from the top of Queensland, so the east coast. Um, all runs all down Queensland and it's magnificent coral reefs just beautiful and it's it's dying um I think a lot of people would know about it it's I think it's a you know, like a UNESCO heritage site and it's 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 dying so if you ever come to Australia you need to go and come and see it's just beautiful all the different coral all the beautiful different fish you know, the the tropical fish, and you can go diving there, and it's just beautiful. And due to the, um you know, the warming of the ocean, the coral is bleaching, and it's not what it was. So, you know, you ask me what I worry about, and I worry about the Great Barrier Reef, and I also worry about the koalas.
1: Yes. I... um. I was I was reading about it, and if you all the the site of Queensland, it must be enormous, huge, it's, very very va- very, very vast.
0: Yes. It's right. that's yeah. why it's called the Great Barrier Reef. It is. Yes. It's absolutely yes. vast. I think you can actually they can see it from space. If you if you Google it, it's 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 a big deal, and it's just it's it's amazing. It's a major tourist, um, uh, you know, a tourist. Site, site in australia but it's it's in trouble um you know a lot, of, a lot of a lot of places around the world are in trouble you know we're losing glaciers and things like that
1: yeah meryl it's been fantastic to have you in
0: thank you uh, thank you very much
1: and this is it for today did you enjoy this episode? If you have any comments or reviews about it, don't forget to leave them in the website morethanjezabeth.net forward slash contact. And once you're there, please support the show by pressing the tonight button. You can do it for as little as one pound.
0: A form of crime. It's interlinked with drugs. So, of course, if you're smuggling across animals, it's up to smuggling across drugs.
1: Hasta la próxima.